Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A uh, what a great uh, pairing we have for you today here on Film School. We're we're joined by David Darge. He is the director of the Academy Award nominated short documentary, and that would be uh, Body Team Twelve, as well as Courtney Marsh. And Courtney is also nominated for an Academy Award for a short film, short documentary, and that would be called Chow Beyond the Lines. Mm-hmm. Joining us today, uh, I'll st- good good morning to both of you. Thank you for being here. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Very good. Well, um, uh, there's uh, I, um, this, these are two remarkable films. Um, I don't know if you have you met one another before. I should have asked uh, offline, but no, I haven't. Hi, Dave. Nice to meet you, <laughs> <Or> David. Courtney, <laughs> Courtney, it's great to meet you. Congratulations. Yes, thanks. Congr- likewise. Yeah, congratulations to both of you. Uh, these are really terrific films, uh, and uh, I'm I'm struck. Well, let's get into what each one of them is. I, I, a very brief introduction here, but I, I, I want to... David, let's start with Body Team 12. Tell us a little bit about the film, a little bit about the background of the make, the behind the film. Sure. Body Team 12 is a story of a brave team of young Liberians who were tasked with collecting the dead Ebola victims on the streets of Monrovia, the capital of Liberia. And I was actually there in, in West Africa during the outbreak initially uh, as an aid worker, helping with some of the relief efforts. Um, And as a journalist, I was documenting everything I saw uh, and came across the work of these incredibly brave young Liberians and was so inspired by what they were doing um, that I decided to focus in and tell the story of this one particular body team. And so uh, it's a 13-minute documentary, focuses focuses on a, a female member of the team who... Uh, I found to be one of the bravest human beings I've ever met. She endured extreme hardships, of course, uh, on a daily basis, month after month, um, up against some of the most heartbreaking scenes that I've ever seen, uh, and still emerged with strength uh, and inspiration. Her name, uh, well, let's let's give her, uh, let's let people know who she is, Garme Sumo, is that, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, it's actually pronounced Garmai Sumo. Sumo. Uh, yeah. The only female of the member of the collect of the uh, team that went around collecting these bodies, right? Yeah, it's interesting. The the Red Cross was coordinating these body collection teams, and um, it was actually a policy of the Red Cross that each team had to have a female member. And that was because when the teams went to extract bodies, they were often met with a lot of resistance. The family members didn't want to release the bodies because they knew that they were going for cremation, which completely goes against their tradition there. Uh, they, they traditionally bury the family members. And so there was a lot of resistance, a lot of anger. And it was always up to uh, the female member of the team to be the negotiator in those situations. Um, they found that the female members were the most successful at calming the situation down eventually negotiating the release of the body. And so not only was Garmai exposed to, you know, potentially exposed to the the Ebola virus on a daily basis, she also had to uh, negotiate with angry people. She was threatened with violence. She was ostracized by her friends and family because of the stigma of the disease. So just the mental agony that she went through in addition to the potential physical danger was, was astronomical. 
All right, well, Courtney, Courtney Marsh, uh, let's talk about your film, Child Beyond the Lines. Let's, uh, how was uh, a little bit of a background on the story um, behind Child? Um, well, yeah, um, my film basically follows um, a teenager named Chow, and he's growing up in a care center um, in Vietnam for kids disabled by the chemical Agent Orange, um, which was great during the Vietnam War. And it follows him over the course of um, eight years as he tries to become a professional artist. And basically, um, I, uh, I've never really made a film before. I, I knew I wanted to make films. My, it was my first year at UCLA undergraduate. And one of my really good friends um, at the time was uh, was Vietnamese. I was very involved with his um, family and his culture. And long story short, um, we went to Vietnam to make a feature documentary and um, on, on a totally different topic. I didn't even know documentary short films existed, actually. I just thought it was kind of narrative shorts, um, documentary features, and, and um, fiction scripted features. So basically, we went to um, Vietnam, uh, and uh, because we had to get permission from the government to shoot there, uh, you know, people had heard out had heard about us, and this TV producer approached us at our hotel one day and was like, "Okay, I get you guys want to make this story, but but why don't you come with me to this this care center, and maybe you want to change your your topic." And so anyway, I went to this maternity hospital, um, and in the, tucked away in the back of it was a care center for kids disabled by Agent Orange. And I was about 20, I think I had just turned 21 at the time, it was in 2007, and um, I had never known what Agent Orange was. I had no idea, you know, you know, about the Vietnam War because of America's involvement in it, but I had never really, I had no idea what it was. I literally had to Google it. Um, and what kind of stood out to me was, um, you know, the way I had kind of seen disability, um, you know, I had always kind of looked at it as, um, you know, maybe an amputation or different things like that. But the way these kids were um, was uh, just didn't register very easily at first. And um, the main thing I noticed was that uh, people would come in and even myself, you know, you look at them, they're different, but they always just saw themselves as kids. You know, they'd play soccer and do this and that. And I was like, okay, well, why don't we, why don't we drop the cameras and why don't we just volunteer? Like, let's just, and me and my friend volunteered there for about two weeks. And Charles was 15 at the time. He was the oldest kid in the camp. And I got to be really close with him because in between when I was volunteering with the younger kids, we'd play soccer. And I realized that I would love to tell the story from that point of view, from, you know, they were poster children for a chemical they didn't really know or care about. So... Yeah, I kind of set out to make the movie not really a political film, but just something about um, about Chow and his brothers and sisters at the camp. Well, I, there's for me, I was as I was watching these two films. There's there are certain common threads that I, I found in in watching both Chow Beyond the Lines and uh, Body Team Twelve. First of all, you both kind of came at it from a from at first sort of a humanitarian perspective right you're both you both were involved in something that was a uh, a mission of uh of charity uh, to help people in need um and then it it evolved into and your instincts as an artist took over um to make a film of it um i'll go back to uh david um what was there a moment when you were involved, as you got involved with what was going on with Ebola in, in Central Africa, that you you were, this is going to, I have to do this film, I have to do this project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've made several short films, all of which have come out of being first involved in humanitarian crises and disasters, and then in amongst those, finding these amazing characters, and then wanting at that point to go and tell their story. 
And for me, uh, and for a lot of the relief uh, workers at the time, it was a very frustrating time to be in West Africa, um, being in amongst the crisis, to turn on the news and see that a lot of the hysteria was, was actually focused in the U.S., that people were so concerned with the few cases that were emerging in the U.S. that a lot of attention was being put on how they could protect the U.S. from from the outbreak rather than the real need, uh, the real focus needing to be on how we could continue to save lives in West Africa. And um, a lot of the media that was being shown were of these people, you know, in West Africa wearing these yellow suits, and it, it was all very eerie, and nothing was being told of who these brave people were underneath the suits that were willing to risk their lives to to stand on the front line against this outbreak. And so Body Team 12 uh, is an effort to really strip back that protective gear and tell the story. It really is a tribute to the the bravery of these young Liberians that were willing to stand up and potentially sacrifice their lives, not only for their country and and their countrymen, but, but for all of us, ultimately. They saved us all from what could have been a far worse outbreak of the epidemic. I was struck in watching the film just how many of the the members of the team, in particular Garma, um, Garmai, I, I, I'm sorry, uh, were yeah. talking about their country and the importance of it, and for the in the future uh, of their country and the future of the the people they cared about. And it is easy to lose sight of just how um, how close, as bad as the outbreak was, and as bad as this epidemic pandemic in some ways was. How much worse? You're right. Absolutely, so so much worse that it could have been. Uh, and these, and let's not forget that many of the people who were involved in these body teams did, in fact, contract Ebola and did, in fact, die from it. So it was it was not a risk that was out without some, you know, some concern that it could happen to them. It, is that is that fact? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, it, it's a sad reality that many body team collectors did die. Um, and, of course, many um, aid workers that, that were there um, perished as well. Uh, many of the medical staff in, in these countries perished. And so um, yeah. there's, a, there's a huge legacy of Ebola that these countries have a lot of um, infrastructure rebuilding to do. Uh, there's a huge orphan crisis now. Uh, and actually our, our central character, Garmai, is now helping to care for the orphans of Ebola. She has, she's running this incredible program, caring for 300 children that lost both of their parents to the, to the disease uh, and helping to provide school scholarships and feeding for these children on a daily basis now. So it's, it's a beautiful sort of full circle for her, a uh, bit of catharsis. She was there when these kids' parents were literally hauled away in body bags. Uh, and now is there to help care for these kids on the long term. It's amazing, amazing story, Courtney uh, Marsh. I want to go back to you and 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 again this sort of thread of you you came into this and and from a perspective of a humanitarian um, perspective, and as a filmmaker, you obviously jumped with with both feet. And I I think it's important to point out that this just didn't happen over a short period of time. In fact, this was an eight year. Uh, part of your life. Uh, talk talk a little bit about how, that that part of uh, the making of uh, Chow Beyond the Lines. Um, well, yeah, basically when I came into it, it was, um, you know, I guess on the humanitarian end, you're kind of taking it all in and kind of realizing something you didn't know about or a chemical that was sprayed so long ago um, and still having its effects. 
Um, but yeah, it's um, it's funny how it kind of comes full, full circle. And you know, now that it's kind of over and getting back into that humanitarian kind of like you know, because it is a humanitarian issue that we can do something about now. But um, kind of it was actually very similar to what David was saying. Is um, you know, you kind of come into it, and the first part of me, at least, I was like, well, you know, you want to talk about the chemical and you want to talk about this and that. But then you really start to understand, um, you know, the, the kids and see it from their point of view. And um, it kind of takes on a different life of its own where you're drawn into the people, not necessarily, you know, the, maybe they're a larger representation of the humanitarian issue, but really just kind of drawn into the to the kids um, on the poster, the, the symbols of it and who they are and getting down to, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, their inner monologues and kind of who they really are and who the certain people, you know, people don't really get to see, you know, they, people come into the camp and they take photos of the children, but they never really get to know who these kids are or how they see themselves. And, um, you know, as far as going eight years with it, um, you know, when I was trying to make the film in the camp, it was, I, I, like I said, I didn't really know short films existed and, um, there's a lot of pressure to try to figure out how to really make a story out of it. So I was trying to focus on five kids in the camp, but things with Chow is that um, in in a culture that's more emotionally, I would consider it more emotionally um, uh, suppressed than American culture. Um, you know, Chow is just such an emotive, passionate person. And, you know, at 15, he's like, I'm going to be an artist. I don't care what anybody says, and I'm going to do it. And his arc was just so... Um, powerful um and just so direct compared to you know he had by far the biggest fight uh in him and so it really kind of took a life from there because i'd come home um in the evenings and see that majority of my footage was of chow and so um i kind of didn't really expect to go i expected to go home in 2007 and kind of finish it you know um somehow pull a feature film um out of it with maybe chow is kind of the the tie-in to all the kids and their story. But, um, you know, long story short, things got kind of uh, delayed and his story continued and I had to continue with it. So it was, um, I'm, I never expected it to be a, uh, an eight-year journey, but it was. And now that, you know, the cleanup has begun in Vietnam, it's kind of come back to that humanitarian effort of trying to, you know, get Congress to appropriate the funds to continue the Agent Orange cleanup um, within the next decade. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it you know, does. It and, I, I, and, and this is one of the things that, uh, that I love about filmmakers and films that they make <laughs> is that you you were so, I say, fortunate, happenstance, determination. All of these things go into what both of your films are about in, the, in that you focus on a person who is very relatable and and we can and through them we we see a story unfold we see a situation an unspeakably horrible situation with Ebola and the and this devastating impact that agent orange has had on the people of Vietnam but we but we're able to to get into this to understand it more deeply and more thoroughly because because you had the foresight to to recognize within these characters of Gomez and 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 Chow that they were a uh, a window into what you were trying to what what you were trying to find and what you did achieve with these films. So, my hats off to both of you. I mean, I I I mean, I know you probably some of this is a little bit of luck, but some of it is your ability to to see something in somebody and and be able to relate to it. Uh, David, would that would that be a fair assessment of, of how you how this came to be? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's it's similar, actually. Uh, my story is similar to Courtney's in that uh, the first day I embedded with the team, I came home and, and found out when I was looking over my footage that most of it was focused on Garmai. And we just find that we're drawn to these particular characters in these situations that are the avenue to tell the bigger story. And I think Garmai is the perfect uh, character to tell the, the bigger story of what happened with Ebola. Um, and it's been really great for us to see how far we've been able to take this film to continue the conversation around Ebola and the legacy of Ebola and really use it as a tool not only to honor the the work that these uh, body workers did but also to help um, continue the conversation about what else can be done to um, you know best practices in the future for uh, saving and you know working in these outbreaks around the world and also what can be done to continue to help the orphans and the victims of Ebola in West Africa. Well, and and David, I also want to say, and some of what you were talking about, what happened to Gourmet afterwards, is that uh, to to personalize these horrors, these tragedies that occur around the world, and I unfortunately suspect that we are in for more and more as the climate changes, as our environment does deteriorate in some ways, uh, we're going to be faced with these kinds of things more on a more regular basis. I may be wrong, and I hope I am, but I, I fear not. And that we need to be able to see the humanity, and we need to see it very quickly because these things can spiral completely out of control very, very quickly. Uh, and, and your film is one one way; it's a window into into a, into the humanizing of people who are suffering tremendously. And uh, I hope that I hope we learn those lessons, you know, as part of what we're uh, while we're enjoying uh, your film um, and Courtney going back to you in, uh, the uh, the jolt of seeing uh, so many children in this um, is it an orphanage what are we calling the where they were it's it, they call it a camp or a peace village because they've been set up by um, okay. uh, the peace village is actually uh, set up by the uh, Germans actually and, and there's camps but yeah for for yeah. We'll, we'll call them care centers because that's essentially what they are. Care centers. Well, again, it's it's a jolt to, to the system to see these kids in the in the various uh, physical um, maladies, physical limitations that uh, that they're that you see. Uh, but it, it's a testament to your to the film that uh, you see the humanity pretty quickly, and it and it is through Chow. But there are other kids that you you just uh, you know it really. Um, brings it down to a level that we can all understand and appreciate that uh, that you're able to do that. Um, you know, I, I guess my I just want to say thank you to both of you for for making what I think is for a lot of people either a history lesson and or um, you know um, some some recent development that we're all we were all pretty scared of. it. to your point, David, about you know the hysteria surrounding Ebola. Uh, I, I I couldn't agree more that it became more about the U.S. where virtually no one became a victim of it, or very few, very, very few people. And the difference between that and what was going on in, in Central Africa is just insane, the, how those things spiral. Um, well, um, and one last thing. Um, you're both uh, up for Academy Awards for uh, in the same category, documentary, short documentaries. Um just generally, um, David, the reaction uh, – the film's been honored in other film festivals, uh, but but uh, what is this meaning for you in terms of your career and your ability to move forward making more films? Well, it's exceptionally exciting. Um, 
like I said, for the for Body Team 12, it's a, just a wonderful platform, uh, additional platform for the film to get more exposure. And for us, that's great because that means more honor on these uh, brave body teams. Um, you know, it's a tribute piece for them. Uh, in terms of the career, it's just an excellent platform to be able to do more of this type of storytelling. I'm already working on my next film um, in Greece about the refugee crisis. I started shooting that um, a month ago, and I'm back in March continuing that. So, um, you know, we're not going to stop. And for the Academy to, to give us this honor is just going to help accomplish the goal. So it's really exciting for us. So you're, you're, you're drawn to documentary filmmaking. Is that what you would like to continue to do? I think for the time being, yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, I think it, it's it's. I mean, obviously, it, not only is there a, a talent for it I, that I think is apparent, but also um, it's terrific training for any kind of filmmaking, right? This kind of think on your feet, move uh, as the situation dictates. Uh, the, there's all kinds of sort of skills that you are forced to learn when you're doing this kind of work. So, I I, I would suspect that even though it's pretty difficult stuff. Uh, at the end of the day, you're a better filmmaker for having gone through it. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I just shot a music video in New Orleans over the, last week, and it was like so easy compared <laughs> to <laughs> what I'm typically doing. So yeah, absolutely. And Courtney, I, I, I basically the same question for you. I, I, I'm sure that it's a thrill and an honor, but uh, tell us a little bit about the impact that Chow Beyond the Lines has had on, on you and on your career as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, well, it's very, very similar to what David said. It's a lot of the exposure to the topic. Um, I mean, for Chow, you know, I've, I've been so close with him for, for so long that, um, that really the nomination, the first thing that I really settled in was that, um, you know, he's like a celebrity right now in Vietnam. So, and he lives completely on his own. He's a working artist and I um, help him sell his work here in the U.S. And, um, he, uh, I mean, he's going to be okay. You know, he's gonna, he's, he's okay. Like, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just like, he's, his life is going to be okay. And that's like the biggest thing that kind of hits home for me because, you know, you always wonder like how, you know, how involved I can be throughout his life because we live so far away from each other. Mm -hmm. But that's been one huge, 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 huge thing. Um, and he's doing fantastic. Um, on a, on kind of the larger thing is that, um, you know, Agent Orange is a tip, is a topic that, uh, you know, many people think is gone. It's not in the media, you know, it's happened, you know, 40 years ago. Um, you know, the first spray operation happened, everything like that. And the, the thing is, is that it's still very, very prominent until it's cleaned up. You know, it's an, it's a challenge today both for Vietnam veterans and for those Vietnamese to continue to cope with the aftermath of the war. And, you know, as Americans, you know, if we've made a mess, I think it's important to clean it up because these things continue. You know, we, we should learn, you know, from our history to prevent certain things in our future. And I'm just hoping that with the nomination, it kind of brings that um, kind of those untold swept under the rug stories to the foreground. Because, like I said, it's um, this is something we can do something about. And if Congress continues to appropriate money to, to Vietnam for the cleanup and to help those disabled, um, and even Americans here in the U.S. Uh, disabled by the chemical, you know, that's a huge thing. So on a larger scale, that's really what it's been um, uh, because of the nomination. And then, of course, yeah, I mean, for your career, it's, it's amazing. You know, it really it does 
and you know empower you to make more films and i think just um on a level of confidence it helps as well but uh yeah do you just uh, just to follow up on the agent orange aspect of this um what is is in fact the u.s stepping up as in fact are we seeing some progress in terms of cleaning up agent orange in, in vietnam is there a matrix that we can kind of measure how we're doing in all of this yeah, we're um, basically um, in 2000, um, I think it was 2008 that we really started working with the Vietnamese government to uh, start cleaning up Agent Orange in Vietnam. So Da Nang is up, so they're cleaning up the hot spots, which is essentially where the majority of the chemical was sprayed um, or where it was stored. Because, you know, wherever it's stored on these bases, for example, Da Nang, there could be leaks or spills or different things like that. They were just sitting there for long periods of time. So Da Nang should be cleaned by the end of this year, and there's one major air base um, in the south in Ben Hoa yeah. that needs to be cleaned up. But that's um, that's a decade's worth of work because the way the chemical is taken is um, cleaned from the soil. They dig about a meter deep, and they put them into these the, the soil into these huge concrete tanks that are like football field length, and they heat it at three times the boiling point for one month straight and then they have to reforest you know the area and make it a livable you know because you can't even farm on these areas the thing is though is that you know dioxin the chemical in agent orange that's still in the soil lives in fatty tissue it lives in livestock it lives in so many different things that it's very hard to can you know to contain it so over this next decade as we clean this last air base and you know we test everything it's just something that it does cost a lot of money but a very small portion of our international budget and um it is something we're doing something about, but again, it does need, um, you know, the people's encouragement, um, yeah. you know, encouraging Congress to continue yeah. the appropriations. I'm just going to throw something in very quick about Agent Orange. It was used in order to what they call defoliate the jungle, which is pre- uh, Vietnam is pre- predominantly a tropical country. And so the uh, Viet Cong, the North Vietnamese Army, uh, was "Quote unquote hiding in the forest," so our our idea was to essentially strip the uh, the foliage away so that we could have a better uh, opportunity at uh, at killing them, and that's that's the yeah, reason. Yeah, and destroying for food crops and, and, and yeah, it did a lot everything of everything like that. yeah, and it was sold as something that would have no lasting damage. It was, in fact, I remember exactly. American soldiers were told that it was harmless, and actually, when it was sprayed, uh, it smelled sweet on your skin so you never even really you know you don't think twice about something like that i remember Um, i'm old enough to remember when this was happening and that i remember vividly there's footage i don't know if it still exists but i remember seeing uh, footage on the news of an american soldier who was determined to prove how harmless it was and he actually drank a bottle of it on camera uh i just you know wonder what happened to him but it's it is something that continues to uh haunt the the people of vietnam and it's good to hear that we are actively involved in 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 helping to to uh to mitigate what happened to these people um these are very powerful films and i'm i can't even begin to tell you how happy i am that you're able to both were able uh david darge and uh courtney marsh were able to find time to come here to film school um all the best on Feb- February twenty eighth to both of you, um, and I and and I hope that when uh, David your your documentary on the refugee issues and Courtney whatever you're working on, I hope that uh, you can come back and spend some time here on the show. I really really thank you, thankful for your for what you've been doing and hope hopefully continue to do. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the film is Chow Beyond the Lines, and that's uh, directed by Courtney Marsh, and uh, Body Team 12 uh, is directed by David Darge. 
And now both of them are nominated for an Academy Award. And on February 28th, tune in. So, and thank you again. Uh, I'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.